Welcome back, everyone, to Mike on Money. My name is Michael LeBlanc, Director and Senior Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. And thanks for joining us here this uh, Tuesday afternoon for our live session uh, where we do a weekly update of the markets and we take a deep dive into a topic. And we're going to talk today about melting up. Uh, usually, you know, people focus on the meltdown of a market, but we're going to talk a bit about melting up. It, uh, it's so it's actually more important to identify when that's happening in the market because that can help protect you against the uh, the meltdown that might inevitably follow behind it. But we'll get into that. Uh, but first, we're going to jump into the market uh, information. And before we do that, as always, keep in mind that this information is uh, sorry. This uh, session is for information purposes only. Uh, always do your own due diligence or talk to a professional advisor. If you have any questions about anything we talk about today or any of our previous videos, reach out to us. Just go to mikeonmoney.com. Uh, that's a portal to all our content and our contact as well. You can email us or, of course, call us anytime. Happy to discuss your situation and see how we can help you or uh, at least point you in the right direction. And if you are watching live, of course, this will be available on YouTube on our YouTube channel uh, for those who want to uh, watch it later and our podcast, if you're listening to it at a later date. Uh, again, just reach out with any of your questions, but if you're live, you can answer us, ask us questions, just click that Q&A button. Uh, we'll try to get it to you today uh, while we're on live, but if not, we always follow up uh, on any of the questions we get in the live sessions. So uh, with that, we always, uh, it seems that we always have to talk about COVID before we get started. Uh, it is kind of the ongoing top uh, top news stories. Uh, not a lot of change. I mean, obviously, we've seen um, you know some new rules across the country. The passports here in Canada are big. Uh, in the U.S., you know, different local governments, different states, different cities are imposing uh, a lot of uh, uh, rules about uh, workers being vaccinated. I think is the biggest thing that we're seeing out there. Uh, and, and certainly, the, the you know, there's some controversy around that, uh, obviously. I know the airlines in the United States are looking at, at firing a bunch of uh, people who are refusing to get their vaccines. Uh, the healthcare workers uh, in, in certain states, like New York, for example, all the uh, state's employees, including uh, hospitals and uh, retirement homes, have to have the vaccinations. Here in Canada, the, the in Ontario, for sure. For sure have to have the vaccinations uh and we're seeing a lot of employers just say you got to have the vaccine before you come back into the office uh and that's having a big impact uh, what we're seeing is definitely um the vaccination rates jump up in whenever those uh, rules are put into place so it has taken some of the people who are on the fence and uh and, and getting them over the finish line as far as the uh, getting the vaccines go Moving into the booster territory, and now of course uh, there's new data here in Canada being submitted for I think it's age five and up uh, was the latest study that they've uh, they've, they've put in for the vaccines. Um, so uh, so we might see you know the younger uh, the younger population uh, gets uh, become eligible for the vaccine as well. And obviously with the schools reopening, they have a max mandate now in the schools. Uh, I think from kindergarten up is what I read. 
So, uh, so more and more we're seeing just, you know, tightening up the regulations, trying to get the vaccination rates up. Uh, before we go into booster season, uh, Pfizer came out with a report saying that they're, um, the, uh, the antibodies start to wane uh, about the seven month mark after you've been vaccinated. So obviously those who are early vaccinated uh, will be up for boosters now and, and, and you know, more and more uh, as, uh, as time goes on. Uh, on the travel front, for those, uh, those of you like me who are AstraZeneca's, uh, double AstraZeneca's, uh, they've applied to the US for approval. So uh, not that I have any big plans to go to the US, but if you're uh, looking at going to the, to the United States, especially one of the states that requires vaccinations to, to avoid quarantines, um, AstraZeneca should be on their window pretty, uh, pretty quickly. And of course, the UK and most of Europe has already approved AstraZeneca's. It's the mixed vaccines uh, that uh, still are a little bit um, behind in global approval. I know the UK has approved it now, uh, but as far as I'm aware, they're one of the few that, um, that have kind of opened it up if you've got double uh, or, or mixed vaccinations, which was, of course, popular here in Canada. So that's it on COVID. Um, we continue to watch, but generally what we're seeing, of course, the Delta variant uh, being uh, the, uh, the dominant um, uh, version out there, uh, way more contagious than the original. And, and that's what's helping it spread more and more. Um, and hopefully the numbers continue or the, the improvement has started. Hopefully they continue. I mean, there's certain some pockets uh, across Canada and the United States that continue to struggle with it. But with that, let's jump into the markets. And before we do, I just want to mention the uh, uh, Pandora Papers. If you haven't followed the news on the Pandora Papers, uh, so this uh, big story uh, breaking, uh, big story, a bunch of rich people hid money from taxes. Uh, I don't know that anyone's too surprised that that, so that actually exists, uh, but you know, names are going to be uh, coming out here in the next uh, little while. Don't worry, pretty sure I'm not on the list, uh, <laughs> not in that category, but, uh, but we probably will see a little bit, not necessarily in the markets, but more on the individual side, some fallout uh, depending on whose names are on those lists, you know, politicians, uh, you know, Putin's on there, no big surprise as well. But, you know, we're going to see more and more as, uh, as time moves, uh, as the report gets, uh, gets analyzed more and more. I think there was several terabytes of data that was released. So with that, let's take a look at the U.S. market. So in the U.S., uh, global markets rather in the U.S. this week, we're looking for the U.S. trade numbers for August, also the, uh, the manufacturing index, uh, to see how those are uh, shaping up as we come out of the, come out of the summer months. Uh, of course, looking at Canada's trade uh, for August as well, and uh, heading into third quarter uh, earnings season uh, with Pepsi kind of announcing later this week. On the stock front, uh, we did see uh, the futures pause from the sell-off that we saw uh, yesterday and a bit last week uh, as we move uh, in more into a stable trade-in week. Uh, and certainly, we're seeing the energy uh, numbers increase, uh, the prices increase, while technology is selling off. So no big surprise on that front. Though we've been talking about it now for months, uh, you know, at the beginning of the summer, that that shift was going to be happening this year. Uh, we saw big rally in the uh, in the stock markets last year or sorry in the tech markets last year uh, while energy slumped 
And now as we come out, as the world comes out of the, uh, the shutdowns, uh, we're seeing those energy uh, demands uh, spike up and uh, we're seeing energy prices rise and, you know, valuations kind of being re-looked at when we look at the tech side of things. So uh, we're seeing that uh, unfold in September here uh, or in September going into October and that trend should, should actually continue. Um, you know, a big chunk of the recent decline, as I mentioned, around the tax is around bond yields as well. So the bond yields have gone up, uh, you know, around those inflation numbers. Uh, and that highly, it really affects tech companies because tech companies, you know, trade on future value. And a lot of that future value is reinvestment into growth and new technology uh, and, and acquisitions. And all that is based off of, you know, financing dollars. So if the financing cost is going up, that's going to affect their uh, future value. If uh, if any of you out there are um, you know someone who spends a lot of time on Facebook, Instagram, or WhatsApp, you uh, had a lot of free time yesterday because for the most of the day, those three were shut down uh, for uh, uh, or, 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 or were offline for most of yesterday. Um, still haven't read a ton of reports as to the cause of that. Obviously, it was it was the main uh, failure. Uh, server right at Facebook level, uh, wasn't your provider or anything like that. Uh, and that happened while Facebook's whistleblower, um, Frances Hogan was testifying, um, and she's testified today, but she was uh, testifying to yesterday in court, uh, just about Facebook's business practices and whether they put money ahead of the greater social good. Um, I'm not going to be overly shocked if they put money ahead. They it's certainly Facebook as a company has demonstrated in the past that they, that's been their philosophy is uh, they've not uh, not necessarily uh, protected the people uh, or their users uh, over uh, their bottom line. And we've seen that with you know how they use your data, how they repackage and resell that data. Or, or, or for money, allow external companies access to your data. So uh, we were going to see more and more as that uh, the, 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 test, the, the uh, testify in front of Congress today. We'll get more information, but um, uh, I don't think there's going to be anything uh, overly um, new that's going to come out of these testimonies. Uh, I think it will just be what kind of actions the governments or courts take against Facebook for, uh, for perhaps some of their activities that they've uh, done over the last, the last few years. Uh, and this goes around, you know, everything from uh, the January 6th insurrection uh, all the way to, uh, you know, international, um, you know, genocide uh, discrimination around the world. Uh, so Zoom, uh, Zoom, of course, we're on Zoom right now. Uh, Zoom, uh, the video communications uh, took off. The stock price took off through the pandemic as everyone had to go online uh, and they became kind of the, the mainstay. There's other competitors out there like Microsoft Teams and Google Meet and, and others like that. Uh, but they were in the, uh, the process of uh, trying to do a $15 billion acquisition of a center call center uh, software firm called Five9. Um, that fell through as, you know, kind of one of their first attempts to, to do a deal, do an acquisition deal. Uh, and I think they learned a lot of lessons, uh, you know, what it takes, what, you know, uh, what goes into that and also trade in their paper because uh, their, their stock price, of course, 
as their main currency that they're using. Uh, and they've never been, you know, they haven't in the past been in a position to take advantage of that. So they stepped away from that deal, but I'm sure uh, we'll see them back at the table once they find uh, find something that's a better fit. Um, well, in the U.S., the, the state uh, Fed bank chiefs, both in Dallas and uh, Boston, uh, were vacated. So the Fed Reserve Chair, uh, Jerome Powell, is out there. Uh, Creighton, uh, a pool of diverse candidates uh, for, for those jobs. Uh, after you know the the Dallas and uh, and Boston um, existing Fed chairs uh, were asked to step out uh, due to their personal trading activities, um, we're seeing that a lot. You know, there's actually in the United States there's actually a um, a group that follow the senators' uh, trading activity and. Uh, and have made money just because, you know, of course, the Senate uh, has access to, uh, to, you know, new laws, new regulations that are coming into place, you know, that could affect the markets or could affect certain companies. Uh, and uh, Nancy Pelosi is one of the most popular ones that people uh, follow, or as she would put it, she doesn't trade, her husband trades, um, but he's done quite well over the last year. So, um, you know, all things being equal, there's probably more than just these two that uh, are, are trading off that information. Uh, hedge funds are flocking to oil. We talked a bit about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, as that energy shortage worsens. Shortage is a strong word. I mean, certainly demand has increased and we've, we've gotten back to the demand levels of, uh, of pre-pandemic uh, on the energy front. Uh, but at the same time, remember OPEC plus, which we're gonna talk a little bit about today, uh, during the pandemic, cut supply, right? They turned off production um, on purpose to, to, because demand wasn't there. So, they, so now that supply is ramping up slowly, but that of course is driving up the price of oil. And you know, that's the goal of OPEC is to achieve better pricing for the members while meeting global demand. Uh, also in the US, the, the factory orders are gaining steam. Again, this just, just goes back into the supply chain challenges that we're seeing out there. Uh, obviously, fact, uh, factory numbers continue to stay strong uh, as the supply chain tries to keep up with demand or the backlog of demand that we saw during the reopening. As I mentioned, OPEC plus uh, sticking to the plan to gradually increase that oil output. You know, they didn't just flip the switch and uh, have oil kind of come, you know, full, full supply uh, because they're just back to that previous demand. So it's not like we've increased uh, demand on oil. Uh, over uh, over the pandemic, uh, it just simply we've got to pre-pandemic demand, um, and that's likely to continue. Uh, you know, despite you know what we see about renewable energy or the shift away from fossil fuels, uh, I talked more about it last week. Uh, you know, yes, there, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of technology that's happening on the uh, renewable energy front, but switching over. It's not an overnight thing. It's going to take time. It's going to take years to try to get the renewable, or the renewable energy um, production levels uh, high enough to completely or, or even come close to replacing the fossil fuel. So we're going to hear more and more about that, that transition and, and how long that's going to take and, and what the real, uh, the real impact is going to, uh, going to have. Uh, on the IPO front, we're, we continue to see uh, more IPOs coming out. Uh, 
have it exchange filed for the, their IPO uh, around 506 million. Um, you know, and this is Avid Exchange is a uh, payment, a business payment uh, a process. So they're bringing their IPO out. Global Foundries shows uh, jump in revenue as they launch their IPO paperwork for the semiconductor. Semiconductor, of course, you know, jump in revenue, not a big surprise is global chip shortage. Uh, it's gonna be really interesting to watch that chip shortage because right now, you know, there's obviously the window into the backlog of chips. You know, we see it everywhere from, from cars to computers. Um, you know, if, if you're into gaming or if you, if you have a family or kids or grandkids into the gaming scene, you know, trying to get the, the, the video cards for those computers are almost impossible or very expensive. Uh, because of this shortage, but you know, with all this ramp up of chip production, um, you know, at some point they're going to have more production than demand, and we're going to see that uh, that pendulum swing the other way. So, keeping a close eye on that, there's obviously been a lot of pe uh, pent up demand still in that in the chip supply chain, and it's not going away. In fact, estimates are at least until late 2022 into 2023 uh, before they get caught up. But, you know, you have to be careful whenever you see any industry uh, and we've seen it, we've seen it go both ways. You know, we've seen it in things like oil where, you know, demand for oil increases uh, globally. We turn the, the globe into a pincushion, trying to find a bunch of oil. Then all of a sudden we have too much supply. Um, and if there's any bump in the growth in demand, then, you know, you have this big excess uh, supply, which we saw during the pandemic. And uh, although it was a bigger than a, bigger than a small bump in, in the demand side of things, but you know, all of a sudden you're oversupplied and then you have to shut a bunch of things back down. And then over time you've got to create a shortage again. So it's a bit of that pendulum going back and forth and watching the uh, chip manufacturers is going to be quite interesting here. Uh, let's take a look at the uh, local markets, the US specifically, uh, you know, the Commerce Department scheduled to Report a trade deficit slightly higher in, uh, in August and July. Uh, and again, just as the supply management kind of picks up, trying to, trying to catch up on those, those backlog of orders uh, out there. Um, down in the US, they have this uh, program called the Fed Listens, where they talk to little local community leaders to discuss you know, how the pandemic has affected the workforce, you know, small businesses and families uh, to get a better idea of how they're going to manage, you know, the reopening, which is in full full swing, but at the same time, you know, how can they take uh, or how can they, you know, stimulate the economic growth as, as quickly as possible? As I mentioned early, Pepsi is going to be expect uh, reporting and expected to see a rise in third quarter um, as we see those restaurants and theaters kind of reopen. Uh, where you know, soda. I think I talked about it last week, maybe or the week before. You know, potatoes were really hard hit during the closures because so much of their demand comes from the, you know, the, the restaurants or you know, people going out. And, uh, and that's the same with the soft drinks. So as that reopening has happened, we've seen, um, we've seen them, uh, their sales and the demand pick up dramatically. Uh, and uh, now it's just the battle between the global supply chain affecting shipments and costs uh, on the products. Uh, also in the US, uh, Facebook, I mentioned Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp was down uh, pretty much for the whole day yesterday. Uh, did affect their stock during the day, but you also had the whistleblower out there. So what's affecting that is up a little bit or was up a little bit this morning on open. Uh, I think it was around 1.3, 1.5%. Uh, 
Uh, I haven't followed it too much during the day uh, uh, this morning, but it will probably come back a bit. Again, likely the, uh, the outcome of the, the whistleblower is going to be penalties or just more, more fuel for that antitrust um, uh, argument that we're seeing, not just in the US, but globally. Uh, pharmacy chains, so you know, your local pharmacies, uh, a trial in the US uh, has just started. Uh, and it's the first trial uh, going against the pharmacies themselves. And this is towards the uh, US opioid epidemic, which of course we have up here as well. Um, so in these cases in the past, it's been the manufacturers, the producers, the developer of the opioids. Purdue Pharma, of course, being uh, kind of at the center of it, all that. Uh, but now they're going after the uh, the pharmacies themselves. And it's really interesting. Uh, don't quote me on any of these, these, these numbers. Actually, I'll stay away from numbers. But, you know, the pharmacies um, themselves, one report I was reading, uh, a pharmacy in a, in a smaller town in, in the United States uh, filled over one year. Uh, and here's where I'm big on the numbers, but they filled more prescriptions. And it was something, something like, enough prescriptions of opioids that everyone in the entire city could have had, I think it was something like three to six months of prescription um, use. So obviously not everyone in the entire city were on opioids or prescribed opioids. Um, just that, you know, there was fraud going on, there were sales going on. Um, so this is what the cases focus on is the pharmacies, you know, any kind of, uh, certain tier of medications, they have to report any unusual volumes or activities uh, as part of their license and as part of their, uh, their agreement to handle those, those uh, prescriptions. And, uh, and obviously a lot of the chains were ignoring it uh, for sales, right? They were just happy to have good sales numbers and they were making money. They, they, they turned a blind eye. So this is what the case is, is focused around. So it's gonna be interesting to watch that. Uh, there's some uh, some bigger pharmacies in there as well, like CVS and Walmart. Um, ph pharmacy divisions uh, are, are, are kind of at the center of this as well. Uh, on the uh, the U.S. Uh, U.S. Supreme Court uh, has rebuffed uh, Oracle's challenge to the uh, Pentagon Cloud contract. Now we saw this between Amazon and Microsoft as well. You know these contracts, these cloud contracts for the U.S. government or any government, but certainly the U.S. government are quite large. And this is a $10 billion contract for their uh, Jedi cloud computing um, services that they, they, need, they needed. Uh, and Oracle uh, was challenging how they, they, they awarded that, uh, that contract. It's a, now the contract's been canceled since, but uh, you know, they, were, they were challenging the, uh, the process in which the, uh, the Pentagon was awarding the contracts and got thrown out of court. Uh, Qualcomm and uh, SSW partners uh, have, have come together on a four and a half billion dollar deal to buy VNR, uh, an automotive technology group. Uh, you know, and this is an interesting, actually, uh, not necessarily uh, because Qualcomm's in there, um, but it's really interesting uh, because when you look at cars today, I actually, uh, I, you know, see cars as almost your smartphone uh, when the first iPhones came out, right? We had cellular phones before, we've had cars for years. But when the iPhone came out, it was it transformed phones, not just the iPhone, you know, then the Androids followed and Samsung, LG, even the Blackberries tried to change for a while. Uh, you know, what going from a phone and a, a pager kind of built into it 
maybe a couple simple apps to, you know, what we have today, which you pretty much walking around with your life in your hands, you know, uh, everyone's got it every year, everything from your banking, you know, to your communication, social media, et cetera. It transformed the phone. And I think we're seeing the same thing happen to our cars. You know, cars are no longer just a, a vehicle to get us from point A to point B anymore. Um, the amount of technology that's going into these things, the integration that's happening. New vehicles now talk to your phone, talk to your house. They self-diagnose. They will, uh, they will communicate with, um, not with the dealer, usually with the manufacturer and, and diagnose the problem. And a lot of times these cars, you know, it's a software fix and it will just automatically download. It will tell you it fixed itself and you keep going. So uh, cars are going through this, this, this transition and so when we see things like Qualcomm and SSW getting uh, involved in buying up auto, uh, automotive technology groups, you know, where really what we're talking about is, you know, buying up auto part group, because these are all the components that are going into our cars these days, which is why if you want a new car right now, good luck. Even used cars are in shortage because there's no new cars because of that chip shortage. So I find this one interesting uh, as I see that whole industry uh, changing as we we move forward. We're seeing a dramatic, you know, even a five-year, if you take a five-year-old car compared to a brand new car coming off the lines today, a massive change. But if you go 10 years, it's incredible, uh, you know, the, the difference in technology that is now on board in those vehicles. Anyway, moving on, uh, Eli Lilly is uh, recalling some uh, diabetes uh, drugs that came out of the plant that the FDA actually pointed out uh, early, uh, earlier in the year saying that high quality control violations, specifically around this drug. So, um, you know, probably gonna see some fines or, or problems there for Eli Lilly around that recall. Um, and obviously a lot of changes to their manufacturing oversight. Uh, in Canada, uh, the trade balance for data, uh, data for August is coming out. Uh, we're looking likely a, a, a slight uh, deficit improvement over our deficit from July, uh, as we uh, imported a little bit less than August. Uh, we'll have to see more in depth on what those numbers are going to look like and what kind of that causes. Uh, Sun Life, you know, Canada's big uh, insurance, biggest insurance uh, provider here in Canada, uh, is making a, a play for DentaQuest in the US for $2.5 billion or $2.48 billion. Uh, the Sun Life's biggest deal in a couple of decades. They're not a big serial uh, acquirer. Uh, so this is a big move into the U.S. for them. And it's kind of interesting move. Um, on the heels of the U.S. Uh, looking to uh, expand Medicaid to provide uh, dental coverage uh, in the United States. That's part of the, you know, Biden's big plan um, that uh, dental, uh, dental coverage will be part of Medicaid down there. Um, so it's interesting if they're, they're, they're going in for, for that potential uh, marketplace, although if the government does go into it, obviously there's gonna be pricing pressure, um, you know, much like we see in Canada, uh, dentists uh, have to follow or at least price off a, a, a prescribed pricing guide um, for the services here in Canada. Uh, and that's not even government, uh, you know, government's uh, run uh, dental plans. On the exchange front, the dollar recovered a little bit after pulling back. Uh, you know, 
just a bit of a sign that people, you know, have gotten a little hesitant over the last week in the uh, in the market's fallen or market volatility, I should say, as uh, as people kind of have a fight or move into safety a little bit. Uh, not a ton, but we did see the U.S. dollar improve slightly uh, with uh, with that shift in the markets. Uh, the uh, the U.S. monthly uh, job data is uh, coming out Friday. Uh, it's expected, of course, expected to be stronger. No big surprise that there's a shortage of workers out there. Um, and, and that's going to transcribe to, uh, to better numbers. But what will be really interesting is all these mandates of, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, of the vaccine, you know, having to have a vaccine to go back to work and whether that's going to affect things on the, uh, on the job front. As I mentioned, the, the yield rose a little bit uh, over the week, uh, and that trend will probably likely continue uh, as, we, uh, as we move into uh, more inflation this year. Oops, here we go. So let's talk about the melting up, uh, the melting up market. So if you're not sure uh, what melting up is, it's uh, not a, always, it's not a popular term. It doesn't happen very often in the markets, but it does. It's, uh, it's basically a sustained and often unexpected improvement in performance of an asset or asset class. So markets going up when we don't expect them to, or going up faster than we expect them to. Um, and, and it's often driven by the stampede of investors you know, who have that, what do they call that, FOMO. They don't want to miss out, right? So I, not to pick on cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin, but, you know, there's probably a lot around that where uh, people are, you know, jumping into the investment just because um, they think they should, because money's being made there. Other people are investing in there. Why shouldn't they or why aren't they? Uh, in reality, you know, as with any investment, you should really know why you're buying it, what's the fundamental uh, reason and how it fits in your portfolio. And uh, for a lot of people, especially, you know, I'll pick on the crypto again, is they don't know why, other than they think it's going to go up, but they don't know what those driving forces are uh, other than other people are buying it. And, and, and that's that kind of stampede and the people jumping in. Um, it usually happens near a peak market cycle. So investors be get swept up in the you know, the emotion of rising markets and the rising tide of the markets. Uh, and we see this melt up and we've seen it in the past. Oops, wrong way. Uh, we've seen it in the past. And, you know, a lot of the things we hear, especially from analysts out there, always makes me nervous when, uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll be having a conversation with an analyst and say, well, you know, is this pricing justified? Or, you know, what's going to help them recreate the growth they saw last year to, you know, compared to the past. And uh, the, the line we get a lot is this time is different. And, and that's always a concern in life because it can be different if, if fundamental um, material changes happen to that market or that particular sector. But um, most times it's not. Uh, you know, that optimism, easy credit, right? You know, cheap money. Uh, and, and, and really loose terms. And we saw that in 08. Now, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, but, you know, we saw that in 08. People could get loans, they get mortgages. Um, you know, those, the, 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 the terms have tightened a, a bit, but the rates are so low. Money is easy and cheap right now. Uh, you know, there's been, a, you know, we, whenever we have a melt up, it's usually there's a big rush of initial IPOs, initial offerings, or secondary offerings, bought deals. Uh, and the end of 2020 and early 2021, been record numbers around IPOs and record performance around those numbers because uh, the valuations have been pushed up on that high optimism. Uh, risky stocks outperform value. 
Certainly the story in 2020 started to shift a bit in 2021, but um, you know, those growth stocks, the riskier aggressive stocks outperforming in 2020 for sure. Uh, one would expect investors to exhibit caution in this kind of environment, but it's actually opposite. People want to kind of jump in and don't not miss out. Um, and given Fed's ongoing operations, investors, investors should believe that they should protect from the downside uh, or, or sorry, and believe that they uh, have downside protection, um, but that protection can shift on, you know, on a dime pretty quickly. So we've, we've, you know, since 1900, we've only seen it in, you know, kind of the 1920 to 1929, kind of the depression uh, or, or leading into the depression. Uh, and of course, 95 to 2000, when we went into the dot-com bubble uh, crash. So I'm not insinuating that's what's going to happen here. Uh, just simply, there's a lot of signs happening that we can, we might be in a melt-up or we might be approaching a melt-up. Um, it's hard to predict when it's going to end. Um, it's usually, you know, uh, represented by a sharp rise in valuations. And, and if you chart out uh, last year, of course, uh, we definitely have that. But even if you go back several years, you know, the, the line's still going up with some blips along the way, but it's still going up. And the investment uh, public believes future earnings will justify, you know, the, the higher prices, right? So, you know, uh, a, a growth stock, a tech stock, you know, take Zoom, for example, you know, had a massive growth up in, uh, in its value, um, you know, but can they replicate the growth that they saw during the pandemic? You know, is there going to be that many new subscribers jumping on board or are they going to start losing subscribers as people come back into the office, you know? Uh, those are just factors you have to look at, and that's what um, you know you have to be concerned about. What does history tell us? Well, meltups can uh, can last longer than logic would predict, which is you mean don't don't run away from from growth, don't run away from the markets if you're concerned. It doesn't mean it's ending tomorrow. Uh, even if we are in a meltup, uh, it can go on for a long period of time, um, and that's where you know being smart about your investments and, and knowing why you're in positions uh, make a ton of sense. Um, as I mentioned, the preliminary or prevailing psychology is, you know, this time it's different, generally isn't. Uh, valuations are dismissed in exchange for, you know, momentum. You hear a lot about momentum investing, you know, ride the wave, um, you know, until the wave crashes down. And uh, if you've ever been surfing, when the wave crashes down, it can hurt. So be careful about that. Uh, investors take on excessive le leverage, uh, you know, because the, you know, the market can't lose. Um, you know, real estate's a popular uh, or analogy I like to use here because, you know, yes, real estate's a great investment. It's been an incredible investment, especially here in BC. Um, but over time, you know, it has ups and downs and the downs tend to ask uh, last a long time. And, and usually we, when we see a melt up in real estate, and, and I'll, I'll use the example of the late 80s in Ontario, uh, you know, where, where people were speculating and they were, you know, going and you know, pre-buying, you know, the pre-purchase and, and buying up two, three, four condos with, you know, small deposits on each one, never planning to actually close on them, planning to flip them before the, the condo is even completed or right after the condo completes. Um, and then uh, what happened was the music stopped, right? The, the, the prices crashed by, you know, more than half uh, in a matter of two or three months. Uh, and all these people had, you know, had these deposits, which they were either going to lose uh, and take a huge credit uh, hit or close on, on the property uh, with massively lower valuation than, than what they paid. So 
um, you know, we see that in the markets as well. Is you know, the people jumping on, leveraging, or or putting more money at risk than they should, uh, or taking more risk in their portfolios than they should, uh, just because they're worried about missing out on that growth. Um, and well, you know, what is required to end the melt up? Uh, well, that 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 anticipation. Uh, some 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 event will change the psychology from bullish to bearish, uh, and, and you'll see a massive shift. Uh, into a meltdown, which is uh, inevitable, just how hard the meltdown is going to be or will be. So how do you protect yourself uh, in a meltdown? Um, so you tighten up your portfolio risk. So just really pay attention. Is the risk in your portfolio appropriate for your situation? And again, go to michaelmoney.com, reach out, give us a call. Happy to take a look and kind of give you an assessment of, of you know, uh, if that risk looks appropriate for your situation. Uh, take profits and, and big winners, right? Oh, I always tell people, you know, if, you, if you've got a big winner, don't be afraid to take money off the table. Even if it keeps going up, you've had a good win, take some money off the table and move that into, uh, rebalance it to other positions. Uh, sell laggers or losers. Don't sit on the dogs just because they're down. Uh, because if they're down in a good market, if something goes wrong in the market, it's probably going to go down way more. Um, you know, don't chase after a fallen position. You know, just say it didn't work. It happens. Uh, move on. Take that capital and put it somewhere more appropriate for your uh, for your portfolio. Raise cash. Rebalance the portfolios. You know, to your target weights. Again, that goes back to make sure your risk in your portfolio is properly positioned. And really take notice through all that meltdown talk. I'm not telling you to sell and go to cash. Um, there's great companies out there. That even if we see we saw a meltdown uh, or a pullback in the markets, they're going to be fine. Volatility is your friend in a portfolio. Uh, if you're properly positioned for risk and you're properly positioned to take advantage of that volatility, uh, you will do well. But you'll never time it to go to cash. Um, you know, if you went to cash today and this this lasted another eight months, you know that growth that you'd miss out. You you know you might not make it back even if you buy in at the you know at the low at the other end. So uh, you know going to cash is not the solution. Maybe raising a bit more cash in your portfolio uh, to protect a little bit might be warranted, dependent on your risk level. But just going to cash is not is, is not the way to do it. So that's all I have for you this week. I know I went long. Sorry for that one. Uh, but thanks for coming out. Go to mikeonmoney.com. Subscribe to the channel. Uh, send us in any of your questions uh, that you might have uh, or what you'd like to see us cover in these videos. Uh, always happy to, uh, to get suggestions and feedback. Thanks again, everyone. Take care. Enjoy your week.